Dr. Walker? I'm great. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We're uh, really excited to continue this series and get a look into um, maybe kind of that inner mindset that runners can use uh, right now in these very interesting times uh, that we're going through. I'm going to give a brief introduction, and then we have a uh, set list of topics that we're going to go through. And then if anybody has any questions that they uh, think of while they are watching, please feel free to drop those in the chat and producer Gus will send those to us uh, from YouTube or from Facebook, wherever you're watching. Just as a reminder, you can also catch these as uh, clips afterwards uh, on our podcast as well as on our YouTube channel here. So if you're liking the content, please like and subscribe. Uh, Dr. Stephen Walker, thanks again for joining us. You're an award-winning sport and performance consultant. Your clients have, in their chosen endeavors, have reached the podium in world championships, the Olympics, and performed in the Kennedy Center Philharmonic. Uh, you're here today to talk about how to effectively run in solitude, how to manage frustration around canceled races and new goal setting, how to manage increasing work stress or managing newfound free time, and I am sure so much more. Uh, so <laughs> Dr. Walker, can you please give us a little bit of uh, introduction, just uh, things people should know about you before we get started? Oh, boy. Um, well, thank you for the invitation and thank you for having me. And I'll try and endeavor to keep it interesting and, and focused. Um, I think probably the best way to go would be my own journey in running because everybody's going to be have their own specific story. Uh, in my situation, I, I played football and I was doing a lot of sports. I was a swimmer and um, running was not something that I liked to do much. You know, just even running the mile in my, my pre-football days uh, training regimen was probably my least favorite thing right up until I learned how to love running. And, and then, you know, I'm not exactly sure what it was that, that really tripped the switch for me. I moved, I moved up outside of Boulder into an area in the, in the mountains. And uh, it gave me a lot of opportunities to run back roads and trails. And, you know, every time I went out, it was an adventure. And so it kept me focused on, and then I started in, enjoying just how good it felt when I was spent after a run. And that level of relaxation was not something that I had achieved prior to that. And that turned things for me at that point in time. And then I just couldn't do it enough. So I, I, didn't start running the boulder boulder, but I was, you know, I didn't even hear about the first one until after it was already done, but I've done 35 of them and, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll continue to go. Let's just say I'm not real fast, but, you know, I try and plot along and, and be consistent, but, you know, I appreciate what people do in when they when they're able to turn that corner 
and get to where they recognize how much they love the freedom of movement, the flying along, sometimes in a wind, uh, and, and just the ability to vary the terrain, to keep it interesting, to it's a it's no wonder that ultra marathoning and in races like the Leadville 100 and in things like that have become as popular as they've become. So uh, I think you're on in, in running with power is a huge component to that because there's no substitute for it. And it's all a matter of learning technique and how to do that properly. And so anyway, I, I'll stop at that point, but I could probably go on for a while. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure people are really interested with, you know, the the titles that we email out for these webinar series. And then people have kind of come to expect over the past couple of weeks that we're going to have experts on talking about their distinguished fields. Can you tell you know us what an expert is, don't you? I, 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 I'm sure people expert is an, X is an unknown quantity and spurt is a drip under pressure. Ah, right, right, right. <laughs> so can you, can you, um, then I guess, I guess maybe tell us your area of expertise, uh, and, and kind of the, the area that you deal with. So people could maybe be a little bit more familiar about the subjects that we're going to talk about today. So probably if, if you had to say it in a phrase, mental conditioning for the serious athlete would be the thing that I do the most. And, and what that is going toward is an athlete being in control of themselves from the start to the finish of whatever competition they're involved in. So I'll work with marathoners, I'll work with 10,000 meter runners, I'll work with triathletes, I'll work with athletes that are, are going to be very, very tied into your product, but um, others that maybe not so much. But the fact of the matter is an athlete that is in control knows exactly what they're doing, is really pushing the envelope to stay right on the edge of what they're doing is an athlete that's unstoppable. But the problem with most athletes is that their mind wanders off, they get to where their, their thinking is unpredictable. And when an athlete is unpredictable, they have a hard time both with themselves and with their coaches and with everybody that may be working with them. And so this level of control is huge. Um, I've got one triathlete that I work with who has performed at a very, very high level. And, uh, and yet it took him, probably took him a full year before he could actually compete at a level where he was in control from start to finish in his event. So it's not one of these things that, that happens easily. And then there's got to be a plan for plan B too, you know, or whatever stuff happens during these events. And you don't necessarily know what's, what that's going to be, but anyway, yeah, yeah, that no, answer I'm, your question. Yeah, totally. Uh, and before we delve into some of the written topics we have, um, 
I would like to ask you if there are any misconceptions or misunderstandings that people might have if they hear the phrase sports psychology, um, because I'm sure anybody involved in, you know, athletics, training themselves, the sport of running, triathlon, ultra running, uh, they're obviously aware that they have to train their, their physical presence, their physical being, they have to go through training sessions, but they might not have an understanding of the side and how important it can be uh, to, to practice, um, you know, that, that mental side. So maybe uh, are there any misconceptions or misunderstandings that people have about the sports psychology side? Well, yeah, it's, it's a great question. You know, when I'm, when I'm looking at, you know, what do I actually do with people? Self-talk is huge because as you are connecting to yourself in that conversation that goes on inside your mind and body during your run or during whatever competition that you're engaged in, um, that can either be productive or it can be active or it can be random or it can be now focused or it can be future focused. It can be all over the place. And so one of the things that that most people that run are very much familiar with is a treadmill. And when you get on a treadmill, you've got that little dashboard that you can look at. And it's going to tell you how far you've run. It's going to tell you what your pace is, maybe even how many calories you burned, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, every 20 seconds, it's shifting your focus of attention. And so I find that that is one of those things that is a misconception that a lot of people think that they need to get into this mindset and hold that mindset throughout the duration. It's impossible to do that because, you know, we are creatures of habit, but, you know, uh, we also don't respond well to boredom and that is a setup for boredom. So I think it's important that you keep your mind moving, but you've got it maybe focused on a prescribed, you know, this is step one, this is step two, this is step three. I had a marathoner that was preparing for the Olympic trials and had written on the inside of her wrist what her mantra was for mile one through five, five through 10, you know, and then after 20. And so it was, you know, it's all very much individually structured, but then there are certain principles that the sports psychology piece connects to. And these are the kinds of things that I tend to work with people on. So mostly I just assess them first to find out what are their challenges and where are their strengths and how can we use their strengths to advance their, their challenges. And, you know, it's, it's individually structured, but it's a constant process that is being revised every time we chat and every time we meet. And I, I like to get the coaches involved in that too. So the coaches know what the athlete is working on because a lot of times just the right thing at the right time makes the biggest difference. Totally. So, yeah. so any, I don't know, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, no, I it's, hope I'm not droning on. But. No, not at all. It's actually, you touched directly on the first 
topic that we wanted to touch on, which is running in solitude. So um, this was a uh, you know kind of multi-point topic, um, but first talking about the treadmill, there are a lot of people tuning in worldwide, a lot of people that see this across the world. So not every situation uh, is the same. While somebody might be able to go run by themselves outside right now still and keep up what they uh, you know, think of as a semi-normal training routine, somebody that has never run indoors in their life is now relegated to only being on the treadmill if they find themselves fortunate to do that. But maybe even talk about just the first uh, sort of subject here of if runners are used to running in a group or with a friend or just being social with their running, are there any strategies that they can use to effectively be able to transition to being solo for the time being? Um, boy, um, I mean, that's the million dollar question. So, you know, I'm going to throw out a few ideas. And, you know, I, I find that ideas are, you know, they're much like, you know, throwing gum up against the wall. You know, some of them stick and some of them don't. So you have to just kind of take what seems to feel right for you. Um, I generally try and get runners to be focused on certain things as they start warming up and as they start getting into the mileage that they're going to do that day. And rhythm is the number one thing that I try and get them focused on. If they can relax their body enough to where they're tuned in to their rhythm, and particularly in cross country where, you know, they're starting maybe and they're running for the whole shot and they've got to try and get there. And so they're sprinting in the first 50 yards and then they've got to ease back into it. You can't ever win a race in the first 50 yards, but you can lose a race in the first 50 yards. So the whole idea here is to be, you know, have a good plan, have a notion in mind as to what you want to do. The second thing is, is this ability to keep your body relaxed is hugely important. Um, I had a gal that I was uh, working with who was one of the professional runners that was part of the USA team in the Boulder, Boulder. And uh, there's a, there's a hill here in Boulder that is up where um, there's a middle school and it's a pretty severe incline. And I, when, when my people are out on the course, I'll ride my bike around and I'll pick them up at different points on the, on the course. And I'm watching her come up this hill and she's just really, she's got her teeth clenched and she's got her, you know, and she's grinding it out and she's really going to let her upper body carry her lower body. Well, you know, I'm freaking out. I said, relax your jaw, relax your hands, relax, you know, just use your upper body, but relax. And here's why that's important. It's important because when people clench their teeth, just in the frontalis muscle alone, this one up here, the, the measuring stick for muscle tension is microvolts, literally a unit of energy. 
And the difference between a furrow in the brow or the teeth being clenched and then being relaxed is probably about 400 to 500 microvolts per second. So when you consider what you want at the end of the race is you want to really have enough juice in the tank to be able to, to really push hard and finish strong. Well, you got to be careful about not burning out too early on in an event. And so knowing strategically where and how you want to relax your body and run into a rhythm, it can be really useful. So I, that's a big thing for me. And then, you know, music, mantras, um, you know, power words. Kara Goucher wrote a book, and one of the tools that she uses is called Power Words. And, and the title of her book is called Strong, which was one of her power words. And so, you know, people have certain things that they resonate with that connect with how they want to feel when they're when they're performing well and so gravitating toward that i think is is really kind of important and and then the other thing that i think is valuable is being practiced at doing surges mm. engaging in surges mm -hmm. you know where it might just be 50 yards mm -hmm. but it might be 200 yards mm. you know i mean when you look at what are what are athletes looking to do when they're doing repeat 200s or they're doing repeat 400s you know they're trying to get get so capable mm -hmm. at running at a certain pace that they don't have issues with that right and yet they also find themselves in a race where they might be behind their pace mm -hmm. or you know they might be uh, too far ahead of their pace. Mm -hmm. And so they've got to be able to modulate that in order to be making adjustments all the time. And if they're used to doing surges mm -hmm. where they push the pace and then ease back into a more relaxed tempo, then, then they're better in control right. of what they're doing. Right. I think it's um, super interesting what you, what you talked about in terms of the mantras and then just maybe the mentality about that. So talking about you have to practice a certain, um, you know, pace, a certain effort in training to be able to replicate that on race day. You have to practice running up a hill, relax. So during the race, you don't become unrelaxed and clench your jaw, like, like you mentioned. Um, for somebody heading into a race, it's probably impractical to just expect them to suddenly enact a mantra and have success with that. So would there be any tips or maybe a light that you could shine on how somebody might start to practice that vocalization in their head and um, enact the mantra to help them have more success during their training, but also ultimately on race day? Well, you know, this is going to be an issue when you've got people that are time trialing by themselves. And, and so, you know, you, you've got to be able to incorporate the shifting focus of attention on these things that are going to be really valuable. So when I'm looking at being in control and practicing the surge, well, you know, planning a, a plan B is important too. 
I mean, if you look at the way guys run in a pack, let's say you're looking at a 5,000 meter race. Well, the guys run differently than the women do. And, you know, the guys are blowing snot on one another. You know, if if they can clip somebody in the heel, maybe they're not going to want to do it on purpose, but what goes around comes around. And so they've got to be, you know, conscious of that. But the whole idea is this ability to be able to, to just really dial in to very specific things that they want to be paying attention to. And uh, in being able to do that, I think is, is kind of a key element to that. Yeah, that's super interesting. Uh, we actually just had a comment uh, come in that led me to uh, want to ask this question as well. So you were uh, talking about microvolts. Uh, this comes from Lick and they say, uh, I learned that every single out of place exertion during a race adds up. I found water stations to be a huge waste of energy. I practiced that move a lot. So, um, you know, maybe referring to something like a water station, but uh, during training and racing, is there, you know, kind of a negative consequence of getting out of that focus and maybe uh, saying paying too much attention to high-fiving people on the sides or letting your mind kind of drift back and forth? You mentioned that it's very difficult to get in that, you know, very, very tunnel vision, like narrow okay. focus. Is oh. there sort of negative complications of somebody not practicing, uh, you know, that that more focus and letting those kind of outside things drift into their head? Yeah, there certainly can be. And, and so I think that, you know, one of the tools that I work with people on is, is a centering breath exercise. And and so here's, here's the big issue. Um, more often than not, when an athlete mind starts to wander, it, it may be task-oriented like the water station. But, you know, why the water station? You know? I mean, depending on how good their race plan is, they know when they're going to take water. They know where their water bottle is going to be, and that's not going to be an issue for them. However, a lot of times people, if they're not properly hydrated, uh, they may sense that things are going to be a problem there, then maybe they need to get some. And so you've got to joggle this attention between what your physical needs are in the moment in the task at hand and what are you doing and how are you keeping track of your plan. So the centering breath, I think, is important in that it's designed to do one thing, bring the mind to the body so that they are in sync. And, and you might suspect that, well, doesn't everybody do that? Isn't that kind of the natural way of being? And it's not at all. And the reason it's not is because the mind moves so much faster than the body does. And so the mind can actually time travel and it can be into the future or it can be into the past. And so when you, and this is where self-talk becomes valuable because the people catch themselves into coulda, shoulda, woulda land, then they know that they're caught up in the past. And then they've only got one thing that they need to do to bring themselves back into the now moment, which is, you know, let's do a centering breath. 
let's be in our body right here, right now, and let's get, or they've got an antidote for that that they are practiced with that they've used before. And then future think I find to be even more uh, insidious in that people tend to think, well, what if this happens or what if that happens or what's going to happen next? And when those kinds of things go on, that uncertainty of the future contributes to anxiety and anxiety tends to contribute to the increase in the muscle tension that people have in their shoulders, in their jaw, in different parts of their body. And because microvolts are a unit of energy and because we're burning more energy doing something that's not helping us with our task at all, it's a waste. And so I try and keep everybody dialed into just having all these things really matter in the moment. I find that um, yeah, very interesting because uh, like the point that gets brought up is that, uh, you know, water stations to be a huge waste of energy from my experience running some races and other, uh, you know, people like you mentioned, the top athletes that you work with. Uh, I've heard you know, people during the Olympic trials mentioning and reflecting that they were looking forward to the next water station, the next time they could get a bottle because they've tied that positive mentality. And they've like, like you mentioned that, that future think, but for somebody that is racing in a pack, a water station creates a lot of anxiety. So maybe practicing uh, tying that, that positive thinking towards something could be a strategy that somebody could enact rather than, you know, We've all probably had, you know, a bad experience trying to, if we run in races that are big enough to supply water or gels, you've had a bad experience missing a gel or missing a bottle or something like that. But also there's all these positive uh, experiences um, that somebody could try to uh, tie in with that that same mentality. Is there any um, sort of strategy that somebody could use if they have had sort of a a negative reaction in terms of mentality about something? Is there any strategy that they could use to try and shift that to be more positive? Well, I, I think it's anytime you've rehearsed something, you have a much higher probability of being able to employ it with some degree of regularity. And so, you know, these aspects of rehearsal are really critical. So, you know, it's like I talked about plan B, you know, so somebody clips your your ankle and, you know, maybe you don't go down, but your stride's broken, you know, you, you, you're, you're maybe disoriented to a place where, you know, then there's the emotional experience of being ticked off and upset with and, you know, how do I recover here in all of that? These things are best done when they're actually practiced. And, and so plan B is one of those things where you have the opportunity and you employ that rehearsal so that plan B is no different than plan A because you've rehearsed plan B a hundred times and you automatically go to it. You don't let the emotionality hijack you into a place that's gonna be counterproductive or unhelpful or worse than that, put you behind the eight ball. So, because it can happen either way. 
Yeah, we had a, a question from Ed here that came in a little bit earlier, but this perfectly fits with this. So uh, the question starts, can you address asthma and running, but continues specifically how to control a workout mentally when outside factors like humidity, pollen, et cetera, impede physical performance. So are there any mental strategies that somebody connect if there are outside factors influencing their actual physical being? Um, that's a really good question. And, you know, it, it is reliant on that individual because everybody has their own Achilles heel. And so you kind of have to, and, and by the way, coaches will actually play on that with, you know, opponents. And so, you know, you have to figure what goes around comes around. And I think that the, the key element here is when it's rehearsed enough, or maybe there's some neutralizing phrase that you can use for a high pollen count on a given day. And, uh, or, you know, some of the things that I think can be particularly useful, like just even a nasal irrigation immediately prior to going out to run will cleanse the sinuses prior to, and so you're less susceptible to the pollen. There's so many things that can vary by individual that can make a matter. For someone who's asthmatic, that's a little bit different. And, and I, was, I was one of these kids that was asthmatic. And so that was the big issue for me with running because, you know, I'm wheezing and I'm coughing and I'm hacking and I'm, you know, go figure. But um, there's going to be a methodology that you might be able to work out with with the doc that you're working with that that may be an antidote for that. You know, there are all kinds of inhalers at this point, not just albuterol, but, you know, that can be really, really helpful in opening up the respiratory passages in alveoli that allow that good oxygen exchange to occur. So it just, just depends on the individual, what their particular issue might be, but it's, it, the more it's rehearsed, the more it's practiced, the more it's engaged in as a standard operating procedure, the greater the likelihood that they're going to be able to manage way better. Right. And then, um, you know, the thing that maybe I'm observing right now is that we have these sort of specific scenarios that people might throw out. And this is true for everybody. Everybody has their own specific set of scenarios. But the thing that, uh, you know, I think we can probably advocate for especially from your side, is that rehearsing these things and making sure the un, like the unexpected and the out of the ordinary is not catching you off guard is, you know, something that always is tying back to this enacting mental strategies and uh, having these mantras and this mindset to keep you on that kind of straightforward path. I, I wanted to touch on uh, one more subject before we took some more listener questions that are great and they've been trickling through. So we really appreciate that. Um, for runners that are finding right now 
it difficult to get out the door. You know, uh, here here in Boulder, we just got a couple inches of snow, even though, uh, you know, earlier this, this past weekend, it got up to high 60s, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. And then all of a sudden, it's down to, you know, 14 degrees this morning, and there's a bunch of snow. Um, for people that still might be in nice weather and are having a hard time to get out the door, are there any sort of uh, things that you could speak about to the effect of helping people that have found themselves in solitude and now need that little bit of extra mental push to get out the door? Okay. There are three areas here that really jump out at me. You know, number one is routines. You know, the, the more someone is focused on and devoted to the routines that they engage in, and that means their warm up. That means everything that they're doing as they prepare. Good stretch. You know, um, I like. I think meditation is very, very useful as a tool. And there are a lot of people that. Um, here's a little test that I think people can run on themselves. Think of a bell. All right. So just think of a bell. Now, some of you may have the little ding-a-ling-a-ling dinner bell. Some of you may be listening to the vibration of the Liberty Bell. Some people may have a picture of that bell. Some people may have a sound. Some people may have a vibration. But the form with which they experience that bell is going to provide some very useful information as to how is it they want to be able to access information that is going to be important to them when they meditate. So not everybody is a visual meditator. And so, but you can expand these avenues with which you're able to increase your ability to meditate using these different pathways, whether it's auditory, visual, or kinesthetic. And that would be Every time you have a really good run, that you spend a good five minutes visualizing that experience all over again. That as best you can from start to finish, you go through and you recap the run itself so that you remember how you felt at different stages along the way. And you will have probably a visual connection to maybe the part of the trail that you were on that day, or maybe you'll have uh, where you were taking your water break or what. But the bottom line is there will be something that you can recall that will bring you into that meditative state that will remind you of what it feels like when things are going well for you. And that's what we want to do. We want to emphasize the things that are going well and we want to de-emphasize the things that aren't going well, because unfortunately, we tend to do the opposite. You know, we tend to really play prey on the ones that are negatives and uh, build those up and make them catastrophic. Meanwhile, I find that the peak performance is with those people that are able to minimize that and they keep it on the positive realm. Their self-talk is positive. 
They tend to have encouraging phrases that they say to themselves. Their mantra is positive. You know, they've got a power word that here's where I'm going uphill and I want to be really strong. You know, relax my jaw, relax my hands, whatever it is. But it's focused on the task. The task at hand. That's key. Yeah, I think that's um, that's super powerful because uh, I've had like a personal experience with that uh, of before I ran my PR marathon uh, for like the six months leading up to that, there was no run that I didn't picture crossing the finish line uh, un underneath my goal time. And, you know, that could be for somebody finishing their first 5K, for um, somebody running their first marathon, hitting a BQ or something. But <laughs> then when the time came to actually achieve success, it wasn't new. It was just something that you'd already practiced so many times. Uh, you wouldn't have, uh, you know, an NBA player say they've never dreamed about hitting a game winning three or anybody in any sort of profession where they have to achieve specific mastery and that sort of success. So, um, you know, that, that point kind of hits home for me because yeah, once you practice something enough, it's, it's not a surprise when you've achieved it. It's just, it's normal and it's to be become expected. Um, I thought that's a great answer. And uh, we have a couple more questions before we move on to the next topic. Um, Pascal asks, could you recommend some good books on sports psychology or mental training? Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, there are a number of things that I think are really useful. Uh, I have a colleague by the name of uh, Cindra Kampoff, who uh, she wrote a she wrote a book called um, beyond grit. And so she was kind of playing off of, of Angela Duckworth's grit theme where, you know, resilience and routine and preparation and, you know, increasing stress loads and all of these really help build the kinds of things that are going to be important for people. Uh, but she actually has a good workbook that goes along with that. And so I actually would recommend that uh, because I think that that is, is a really useful tool. And I'd like Kara Goucher's book, Strong, too, because she has eight methods of, of ways of building confidence and ways of building your mental strength. And it's set up in kind of a journal form. And even though it was written pre predominantly for women, the fact that she's a, you know, a silver medalist in a world championship, uh, you know, that's not, uh, that's not had by anybody that's just a novice at the sport. So, uh, you know, these people that, that do a good job, that are able to write, that have methods that can help encourage and support and navigate and direct attention so that you're having to do the investigative work yourself, but you've got those prompts that help you explore just the right area. And I think uh, with Sandra Kampoff's Beyond Grit workbook, uh, that specifically, and also um, strong in the journaling exercises that that uh, Kara recommends in that. I think those are really good ways to go. 
I think uh, Gus, uh, if people are watching live, uh, Gus will put them in the chat here. And then if anybody's watching after the fact, we'll be sure to include them in the uh, show notes as well. Um, Tyler has a follow-up question about the centering breath that you mentioned. Is that the best way to prevent yourself from going out too fast? Or is there another uh, use maybe even after, let's say somebody starts out in cross country and they go out way too hard the first hundred meters to try and establish that position? Um, how could you use that concept of uh, centering breath uh, for success for somebody that maybe has found themselves uh, going out too fast? Okay, two things here. You know, the centering breath, I think, is important. And in, in what I do with the centering breath is all I'm trying to do is sink the mind and the body. And so we're constantly bringing the mind to the body. So because the mind moves so much faster. But the whole idea would be relax the jaw, relax the base of the tongue, relax the shoulders, the pelvic floor, which is really important because there are a lot of people that will tighten up in the pelvic floor and it interferes with their, their power. It interferes with their stride. It interferes with it. There's lots of the rhythm for particularly. So the whole idea for me is the centering breath is designed to bring the mind to the body, to inhale completely to emphasize specifically on the exhale, particularly that sensation where everything is falling down, dropping down inside the torso, and then follow it to its completion, where you finish maybe closer to the pelvic floor, but the bottom line is you've had an extended breath. And it, it benefits in two ways. One, it tends to slow the respiration rate down a bit, so if you're normally breathing 15 times a minute and now you're breathing five times a minute, well, that's going to relax you just a little bit in and of itself. But when your attention is really focused on how you're engaging in that breath, then that methodology is going to be really useful. The other thing that I think is really key is rhythm. You know, and so... I like athletes to be training with music. I like you to have a, a song in your mind. And so in, a, in a, the cross-country run that you were, you were talking about earlier, you know, okay, well, you know, that start is pretty frenetic. And you want to make sure that you're at least in a reasonable position where you are able to stay in one of the lead packs. So there's a certain rhythm that you've got to get into in the very beginning of that cross-country run. But then afterward, you've got to settle into a rhythm that you can sustain. So knowing what that rhythm is, knowing what that pace is, that rhythm is going to be the key element to that. And so you may have a song that is a headbanger, you know, rocker song that you know, really gets you into it. Or, you know, maybe it's, it's something that's a little bit less intense. But I think the key element is that you're practiced with it. You think about it. What is the music that you really are drawn to? You know, what is the rhythm of that? And how does that relate to your running? 
And you're going to find the goodness of fit in that because you're looking for the right thing. Yeah, totally. Uh, Mark Robinson asks a question that actually leads us directly into the second topic here. And he says, one of the most difficult things I'm dealing with now is how to keep runners motivated when they know their season is over and no races in sight, looking for ways to employ positive future thought. So our second topic we already had was anxiety and frustration around race cancellation and setting new goals. So the first point that we can maybe talk about here addressing Mark's question is keeping runners motivated when they know their season is over and they have no races in sight. Okay. Uh, that's a really good question. Thank you, Mark, for asking that. Uh, because there, I, I think of two things here when, when this question comes to mind. I'm thinking about these marathoners that have now had the Olympic Games change up on them where they don't really know when they're going to be competing. They just know they're going to be competing and that there's a certain time frame that is going to be required for them to go through that proper fitness that is going to enable them to perform their best when it really matters. And, and so I, I tend to think that you have a time frame that is going to be appropriate for these people. It may be, you know, four months. I'll throw that out there as a number, although I've known people that have been able to, to get up, ramped up to speed in less time than that. But, you know, and then there's some people that they want to take it a little bit easier. So there's a certain natural tempo that is going to be a factor here. And so know what that is for you and don't try and butt heads with it. You know, just let it be what it is for you naturally, because, you know, when you don't have to make it up, then it's a little bit easier for you to just abide by. So when I'm thinking about the time frame, let's say four months, you know that there's a certain workout that you're going to be doing at three months, a different workout at two months. And so you're changing that start date mm -hmm. to your training period in, in getting ready for that race and that start date. And otherwise, beyond that, everything that you're doing is just your mileage, mm -hmm. you know, working on your rhythm, working on your ability to you know, to really be able to channel your dashboard so sure. that you are good with that. And I think those are the things that, that, that matter. Mm -hmm. the, the maintaining and employing a, a positive future thought. Uh, I think you did a good job with that, Evan, you know, just where you were, you know, picturing yourself finishing just sure. underneath your, your target. Um, you know, that, that's always a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there may be little snippets during that performance that you want to get into where you can see yourself really performing well. Mm -hmm. And and that's another part of it as, as well. Right. So something we've, uh, you know, kind of internally talked about uh, around the office, and I think I've mentioned this on maybe, you know, one of these streams we did last week or the week before, is that 
we're so positive right now that people have extra time to build up their fitness and practice, you know, maybe some of these mental strategies that'll set them up for success that otherwise, if, you know, all the races were on their regularly scheduled, um, you know, times, they wouldn't have a chance to, let's say, you know, somebody was going to run Boston next Monday, but now it gets pushed all the way back to September. Now they have months of time to start actually bettering themselves, not only from a physical side, but you know, if they're watching this webinar live or afterwards, they can start to add in some of these things. So having that positive thought and realizing maybe that this time is actually working to their advantage. And you know, if somebody is a you know, high school cross country coach, they can start to instruct their athletes over the summer to start to visualize and practice and actually have more more time and more, uh, you know, ability for future success. Um, can you talk a little bit about the second part of the question here about positive future thought? You briefly touched on it. Um, is this something that is easy for runners to enact or practice, or does this require a little bit more diving into to specifically focus on the future for for a runner? Well, there there are two things here that are that I, you know, when, when you were talking about, you know, what are some of the things that they can use with their additional time that they've got right now, you know, obviously core training would be really valuable. Um, you know, probably some, some strength training too, which would be really valuable at this point in time. And it's going to impact their power anyway. So, you know, these are things that fit right in with what your mission is and how is it you guys are addressing this. So uh, I think that the, the key element to that is you have to think about, well, what does my body really need? You know, if, if I'm the 90-pound weakling that's trying to go up a hill in a cross-country run, well, that's probably what I should be working on. You know, I can maybe use developing my upper body strength in order to help carry me up the hill. And that technique wise, that might be something that's really useful for somebody, but not for everybody. And so I think you have to kind of check in with your own body. What do you really need here? What are your challenges going forward? And what can you do right now in order to maximize that? Now, I'm going to be doing a class it will run for six weeks and it's going to, it's called get competition ready. And it's going to be an exposure to mental skills that I think are really key for being able to perform well, regardless of what your sport is, whether it's triathlon or could be running, it could be, you know, virtually anything, but there's a point at which you want to be mentally focused on addressing competition and being able to manage the anxiety of that situation. But then you've also got all of these mental skills, whether it's visualization, it's managing your self-talk, it's doing, these are all elements that are components that will be conducted, that I'll be addressing in this, in this particular cast. Uh, any, anybody that wants to do that, um, they can go to my website, drstephenwalker.com, and, you know, and, and they'll be able to just leave their their email address for me and I'll make sure that they get an invitation to um, the class when I'm when I'm ready to announce it. But I guess I just announced it. But 
whenever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I, I find this uh, interesting because people are obviously still going to prepare themselves for competition in the future. That's not anything that people are ignoring. But right now, there are a ton of highly motivated people that are trying to do time trials or solo efforts for the first time ever by themselves. And they have done workouts by themselves, but usually they're very familiar with the situation of showing up on race day to their local park or you know, flying or driving out of town, staying at a hotel, getting in the routine of going to this big race and performing there. But if somebody wants to replicate that and having their coach yelling out their yes, slips exactly. and exactly. you know being able to see that big clock up there yeah exactly got so, it so what would they have to do is there any sort of mental uh you know strengthening or fortitude or strategies they can use right now to get the same result on the clock but they have to do everything by themselves and they have to do everything solo what might be some things that people could enact uh from a, from a solo point of view, if they want to have that same result that they would have otherwise outside of the normal routine? Um, there are different schools of thought on that. You know, there's some that, that believe that you shouldn't be training with, you know, a pace watch. You know, you really need to be tuned into your body in order to be able to get what you need to get from your body in that scenario. Uh, and then there are those that rely heavily on, you know, their pacing and, you know, being able to stay on track with all of that. And I, again, I think it goes with each individual. You know where you have your strengths and you know where you have your weaknesses. And what you want to do, you know, it's like Chris Carmichael used to say all the time to Lance Armstrong, you know, Train your weakness, train your weakness, train your weakness, train your weakness, race your strengths. And so the whole idea of knowing what your weakness is and knowing where your strengths lie and knowing what you need to be developing kind of goes hand in hand with this. So for the guy that's doing the time trial on their own, you know, that would be the number one thing would be to identify you know, where is it they really need work? Like, for example, you know, some people, their mind wanders, you know, and they go off into la-la land. And the next thing they know, they're running at a 10-minute mile pace. And what happened? You know, I was doing so well, and now I'm not. And then worse yet, what happens after that is that, well, I've completely ruined my opportunity here. You know, I screwed it up. And then they go into the beatdown, which we know how much good that does for people. So this whole idea of being able to favor the positive, to keep it focused on what it is that you do have control over, to be training your, your weakness, but, but racing your strengths, and to be incorporating those things that are part of your individual time trial, as much as they are part of that Boston Marathon, you know, you don't have the same hoopla, but, you know, you, in your own mind, you can, you can create almost any kind of scenario you want to. Sure. Yeah, totally. Um, before we go on to the next 
question and then the the last topic before we wrap up here um where can people ask you any other questions or find out more information about you if they're watching this after the fact or they're curious to learn more about the stuff that you've been talking about with us today? Do you have any personal social media? You mentioned the website. Uh, could you plug that one more time for people listening? It's uh, drstevenwalker.com. And uh, I'm, I'm very big on assessments. I use a lot of assessments. And what am I assessing? You know, I'm assessing um, the extent to which people are likely to be vulnerable to cognitive distortions, all or nothing thinking. Uh, they have a great workout except for that one little detail. And so they spend the next four days, you know, worrying about that detail. If they do not have a sense of balance with the way in which they're managing their cognitions, and they don't understand the importance of being able to develop and then engage in what I call thought discipline, then they're gonna be in trouble. And so self-talk is another huge element to that. I've got nine different dimensions that I assess on self-talk, uh, a mental skills performance assessment, like, you know, gee, I train really well, but when I get to competitions, I don't do so well, or, you know, my mind wanders, or I can't really be in the now moment. I don't know what that means. You know, that there are different things. There are 34 questions on this particular assessment where people will score themselves on a one to seven scale. And, you know, and they get a sense as to where do they have their strengths and where do they have their challenges. And, and then we use that to help develop their program. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Gus just left a note that he did leave the website in the chat here for anybody curious. And then um, again, if you're listening after the fact, we will absolutely put this into the description, the show notes, um, whatever localized platform you're listening on. Um, I wanna touch on the last topic we had here because it also touches on one of the last questions we had trickle in. Uh, so people are obviously familiar with us now talking about uh, that anxiety or stress or mental focus on physical performance. But now because the very, very out of the norm situation we find a lot of people in is working from home or all of a sudden, you know, their work-life balance, work-life running balance has all shifted and some priorities might be different. Do you have any strategies for how to manage their running stress as well with outside life and work stress? Is there any points that you could uh, talk to about managing that outside of running stress? Yeah, you know, um, in in my mind, Evan, the, the key element here is routines are king. And so when you start looking at the value of routines, meaning, you know, you're waking up at the same time pretty much every morning, if you normally would wake up when you have a challenging schedule to an alarm clock, well, you're continuing to use the alarm clock. You may modify the timing on that, but I think the key element is that, you know, that's a routine that you're used to. What you're doing with your training session is a routine that you have these things that are customary and usual to you, and that that's also 
hugely valuable. There's another component to this that I think is really, really useful. And that is that you have friends that you normally run with. All right. And it might be useful whether you can continue to run with them or not, but you stay in close contact with them. I have a I have a high school athlete that I work with right now who has learned how to make these friendship bracelets, you know, where and so she's making friendship bracelets for everybody on her track team, at least the distance runners on her track team. All right. It's going to take her hours and hours to do, but she can do it while she's doing other things. You know, it's not something that is, but the bottom line is it's a gift. It's something that she's working on with, with those people that she cares about in mind. And she's also communicating with them while she's doing some of these as well. So she's working on that particular bracelet with that particular person while she's on a Zoom session with them. Um, so, you know, whatever works. But yeah, I think it's important to maintain the routines and to keep those relationships in good order. Mm. Uh, Pascal has uh, a question. This is the last question that uh, has been sent over from Gus. So if there are any other questions, please uh, drop them in the chat now before we wrap up here. Uh, but regarding the uh, outside stress, what are your thoughts on meditation in regards to mental health, strength, and resilience? Obviously, uh, there's a lot of popularity now with so many more uh, meditation apps or people promoting the benefits of, uh, you know, tuning in, like, like you mentioned, kind of keeping that, that centering breath and, and trying to focus on that. What are your thoughts on meditation in regards to mental health, strength, and resilience? Well, first off, the, the literature on meditation is just, you know, whether you're Zen or whether whoever it is that you are following, um, the research on meditation and its ability and contribution to helping people manage stress effectively is just off the charts. So it's huge. Uh, I would actually like to give a plug to the company Sounds True because they have a, uh, a course that they're uh, offering right now that involves the Vietnamese Buddhist instructor Thich Nhat Hanh. And it's, uh, it's really, really quite good. And so she has, if if you can get one of their, just they have a, a seven minute video of one of the concepts that he's talking about with respect to meditation that I think is really useful that anybody can access that's got an internet connection. And so we have a plentiful world here. We have abundance that we can use, even though we don't feel like we've got much abundance right now. The bottom line is that, you know, we can change these things a lot. Meditation, if you're not sure how to meditate, then just go over something that was a really good experience for you and remember it in as much detail as you possibly can and let that be your meditation. What did it feel like? What did it sound like? 
what what were all the senses that were involved? Sight, hearing, sound, you know, tactile sensations, rhythm involved, whatever. There's a there's a guy named David Smith who uh, is from the UK who talks a lot about pet lab imagery. Pet lab being an acronym for physical, emotional, timing, task oriented, yada yada. Pet lab, but it's very very useful and can be um, a really good strategy for helping people expand their meditation so that it's more robust for them. It's more engaging for them. They have greater degree of discipline that's associated with it. And they still get all the benefits of the stress management that accompanies that. So I don't know if that's a, a good answer for you, but you know, that would be, those would be the things that I would lean toward. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. I think a lot of times, um, especially right now, people uh, hear the words, you know, meditation, and then they don't know where to start. So having concrete examples, I think, will help a lot of people at least start on some direction, which um, takes, you know, that barrier of not knowing where to start, it, it removes that. So um, they're more likely to do that. Uh, we have one last question. There is a, what, yeah. one, one thing sure. that I could recommend, mm -hmm. there is a, uh, one of the uh, sports psychology uh, tools that I use is an online journal called Podium Sports Journal. And it's, I am the editor of it. And, but there's an article in there that uh, was focused on the use of PEDLEP imagery with a high jumper. And it goes through all of the particulars of the physical and the emotional and the, the aspects of the, the use of visualization and imagery and meditation for a high jumper and how they were able to prepare to expand and, and do a, a, a PR in high jump. So I think, you know, that can also be useful. And, and there's a search function in there and you could use pet lap imagery and go right to it and, and other things on pet lap imagery that might be useful, but. Awesome. Yeah. And Gus said he, uh, he found it. So if anybody's looking for it, uh, just uh, look in the comments here uh, and producer Gus will send it your way. Um, we have one last question here from our side, just kind of addressing the future. Uh, where do you see the world of running changing in response to the current situation? This is something that we uh, talked about in our little test run before we started the webinar today. Um, but how do you see the future of things changing in the world of running? That's a really good question, you know, and, and my initial response is I'm completely stumped because I don't think, you know, I, I'm not a clairvoyant and I'm not likely to have you know, any corner on that market. So, you know, I, I think your guess is as good as mine on the one hand. What I would love to see happen is that I would love to see another resurgence of the value of running in our culture. Because I remember just when it started to get traction, 
And suddenly people that, you know, were slugs for 20 years, you know, have discovered running and they like the way it feels and they like the way they feel afterward. And they like, you know, being able to incorporate these things that I, that's what I would love to see happen. But I don't know that it will happen because I think, you know, we just don't know. Um, on the other hand, you know, I think that anybody that has even the slightest bit of curiosity and that has an orientation toward fitness would do well to explore their experience of running. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's because great. Because if they're anything like me, I mean, it was the most arduous, mm -hmm. biggest pain in the butt that I could think of. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't. Right. And so, you know, there's a certain level of fitness that you have to achieve that once you get there, it changes everything. Right. And so if you can just stay with it long enough. Right. You know, it, to get to that transition point, mm -hmm. you're there. Mm -hmm. and the, uh, the thing that we, you know, I, I've at least been seeing in Boulder is there are so many people, maybe when there's not, you know, five to 12 inches of snow on the ground, but so many more people out walking, taking advantage of, uh, you know, maybe their situations more, um, you know, positive for get, getting outside and at least getting a little bit of exercise. So I agree with you there. I'm excited for another running boom. I think that could be, uh, yeah, we're, we're not clairvoyant either on our side, but that could be one of the positive outcomes that we could uh, definitely hope for. Um, so we've crossed uh, the 70-minute mark here uh, now, at least on our side. Uh, so we're going to wrap things up. Dr. Stephen Walker, can you plug where people might be able to find out more information about you one more time before we close things for today? Well, I've got uh, uh, three websites that I'm involved in. One mm -hmm. of them, the primary one is drstephenwalker.com. Mm -hmm. And that's one where people can get more information about the assessments that I use and why I think the assessments are so important. Uh, the second one is the Podium Sports Journal, which mm -hmm. has years of content of really good mental conditioning tools that people can pick up on and use. And it's free and it's, mm -hmm. you know, immediately accessible. And mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, it's one of those sources of joy that I've uh, appreciated being able to help put together. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's also a very useful tool. And then I'm developing a, a Podium Performance Academy, which is designed on just the schooling behind this mental skills training. Mm -hmm. And so the Get Competition Ready class is going to be part of that. Mm. And there are a couple other elements that, but those three websites, podiumperformanceacademy.com, drstephenwalker.com, and podiumsportsjournal.com would be, you know, the ways to go. Awesome. So, cool. Well, uh, yeah, we're going to wrap things up. I know you're uh, a busy guy, so we'll let you uh, get to uh, doing everything else. Thanks everybody for tuning in right now. Thank you again, Dr. Walker, for coming on. We'll be back with a uh, another webinar tomorrow. And if anybody has any questions or wants to see any links from this presentation, look in the show notes or the description, wherever you're seeing this. Have a great one, Dr. Walker. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you doing this, Evan. Awesome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.